MSW Media. Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello and welcome to Clean Up on Aisle 45, episode 99. It is Wednesday, <laughs> December 7th, a day that will live in infamy. And I am your host, Allison Gill. Joining me as always is real life lawyer and real life friend, fresh from the lawyer dungeon beneath my home. <laughs> where he's been feasting on fish heads and bourbon. Andrew Torres, hello. <laughs> Hi, Allison. How are you? <laughs> I'm really good today. Thank you for I asking. Bet. Yeah. Uh, how how are you? How was your weekend? Did you I, have a nice weekend? Good, good. but I will tell you that was a, a pointed question to uh, tee up the reason that you're doing well. Maybe you're too <laughs> modest to say, but uh, your brand new podcast, You Don't Know Jack, is number two on Apple Podcasts. You are behind Rachel Maddow and ahead of Serial. Like, that's pretty fucking amazing. I'm really, really proud of you. Uh, Thank you. First episode out already. Uh, get regular job schedules every Sunday, right? Every Sunday, yeah. yeah. It's me and Andrew McCabe. We take you through the uh, special counsel investigations, uh, plural, yep. into Donald. And uh, this week's guest was Hugo Lowell from The Guardian, who has now been appointed the political investigations reporter for The Guardian for Trump and the Department of Justice. So he is Still a covering uh, January 6th committee in Congress, but uh, he is now on this new beat as well. So we welcome him. And it was it's just really fun to work with uh, both, you know, with Andy McCabe and everybody at the MSW team. So thank you. Thank you for for saying that. Uh, yeah. Number two, my mind is blown. Um, I, I I'm speechless, really, honestly, for, the, for like one of the first times <laughs> in my life. And we're on we're number four in all categories. And it's just uh it's it's blowing me away to be right up there with with Rachel Maddow, who is one of my journalistic heroes. So yeah, thank me, you all for subscribing and and subscribe to Clean Up on Aisle Forty Five. We are on the charts as well, and then every subscription helps knock the Nazis off the lists. So uh, if you haven't subscribed, please do. 
Excellent, excellent time to pitch there. Well, you know, speaking of cleanup on aisle 45 and our incredible patrons, how about we give a shout out to some of them? All right. Because we have 65 new patrons this week. Woo-hoo. Thank you so much. I'm so glad everyone's enjoying the second bonus free episode you get at the $2 uh, and up level. So thank you to Sasquatch says, get your Irish wristwatches at Sasquatch's <laughs> Irish wristwatches.com. <laughs> Uh, Thanks, Sasquatch. <laughs> Marianne Lavelle, Ryan, Legend of Gary, D- uh, Gear, Thomas Von Taylor, Rachel Priestley, Hannah Shervitz, TB, Deb Rose, uh, Bob Amp Guitar, Strider Fighter, nice, Dude the Cat, hey bro, please send me catnip, the old man hid mustache, <laughs> Puzzle is a Tassie Storm, Andy Cassa, Anon, Zero zero three three two two three three, Joshua Tavares, Lamarusk, EY, LK S Causa de la Causa S Causa de Malcasado, and uh, Melanie Johnson, Josh Bump, Galetta, Rose Rodriguez, Hillary, Eileen Dranganis, Reed Sanders, April Foytik. Elamanco and the rusty speleologist. Uh, wow. Uh, let's see if I gave you the hard list. Um, also, <laughs> a big thanks to Thor FX07, Nathan Burnett, Chris Condon, Amanda J, Jason Brandt, Simon Crowley, Sean Lero, Thomas Costigan, Torian Gallant, Christopher Scalenda, Trojan Horse News, a funny meme to share with Uncle Frank with real news snuck in the comments on Facebook as Trojan Horse News. That's all one word. Neat. Jacob, yeah, way. Hey. Steve Bannon's contraband gin bought with Elon Musk's last $8. <laughs> Kevin Mullins, Debbie Doxy, Catherine McWinney, Sue Harley Mills, Vocal Anesthesia, Kimberly D. Stephen, SC and MA, Jonna Lawrence, William LaFrance, Chad Bisbing, Nathan is back, baby. Yeah, you're Sweet. right. Right. <laughs> Ranked Choice Mangoes, Kelly Huft, Beth McLeod, Jackie Katzman, Lenure Simmons, Max Zener, T-Bar, Mailer444, Nicholas Butt, Elizabeth McCown, and Craig D. Thank you all so much for supporting wow, the show. Yeah. That's uh thank you. Yeah, patreon.com slash aisle forty five pod A I S L E four five P O D. One buck gets you a shout out, two bucks gets you the bonus episode every week for free. And uh yeah, more than that gets you our uh never ending love and admiration. Yeah, and you can join our uh, Zoom happy yeah, hour calls, which will stuff. be scheduling imminently, and we'll let you know about that. So thank you. You make this show possible. Today we're gonna talk about Rudy. Uh, who didn't fart today, but did wear two wristwatches. We're going to talk about something that's going on at the Manhattan DA's office. And uh, I think you wanted to mention a little bit about the uh, the, the flop of the Twitter files. The that, Twitter uh, files, which, you know, a, a certain co-host of mine is nervous about. And I look, I, I, I admit I, I am guilty of underestimating Hillary's emails and bag of deplorables as a reason to vote against the most qualified presidential candidate in my lifetime. Uh, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But this is truly the bottom of the stupid barrel. And uh, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about one easily disprovable instance. And uh, And there we go. All right, cool. Well, let's open this up. 
with Rudy. Um, <laughs> Talking boy, about the bottom of the stupid barrel. <laughs> boy, oh boy, how the mighty have fallen. Um, and, and mighty is a strong word. That's to, true. To, he's doing a lot of work there. So he had his D.C. bar disbarment proceeding hearing today. Or uh, no, bar... Tell tell me the title of I call it the disbarment proceeding, but I know it's bar uh, disciplinary board hearing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. This is this is the hearing, and it is in connection with. And and I I just want to go back over this because of how unbelievably unprecedented that this was on June twenty fourth of twenty twenty one. Right, so you know, sixteen months ago, right, a New York Appellate Court, uh, the Supreme Court of the State of New York Appellate Division, First Judicial Department, uh, in the matter of uh, the Attorney Grievance Committee's report on Rudy Giuliani, um, issued an order that did a thing that I have never seen them do ever. And that is basically uh, an injunction, right, uh, awarding injunctive relief immediately suspending Rudy Giuliani from uh, the ability to practice law in the state of New York uh, pending that hearing. Um, and, and, and so let me again emphasize, right, I have seen cases in which lawyers, you know, steal money from their clients. That's the easiest way to get disbarred, in which they are uh, grossly incompetent in which they are just, you know, in flagrant disregard of the basic ethics rules. And usually the stance of the attorney grievance committee is like, all right, well, we're going to prove that and get sanctions. And then the sanctions can include your disbarment. We're seeking your disbarment to get them anticipatorily <laughs> is um, is really something else entirely. And this order uh, was a 33 page order. Uh, that went through sort of the undisputed facts on the record. And so now we have, just like if you get an injunction before a hearing on the merits, you have a pretty good idea how that hearing on the merits is going to turn <laughs> out, right? Yeah, because one of the things you have to do to, to win on injunctive relief is to show a likelihood of success on the merits. So the court will say, okay, you haven't put on your case yet. We haven't looked at all the evidence, but... Based on what you have shown us, we think you're substantially likely to win. They said that 16 months ago. So now it is incumbent. Now we have that actual hearing. And so Rudy Giuliani is entitled to present evidence in his own defense that could uh, mitigate his culpability. Um, instead, he's he's taken an interesting strategy in this hearing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His his strategy is to throw every other Emmer ever under the bus that he ever spoke to. He, he's trying to. Well, they, I noticed a few different things and we'll talk about all of them. Mm -hmm. But he's basically saying, look, uh, I was just there to help out. Uh, it, it, it reminded me a lot of what went on in in Michigan, Andrew. With the, you know, hey, I, I signed it, but I didn't have anything to do with it. You know, I was taking the other lawyer's words for it, or word for it. And, uh, you know, that the, you, you want to talk to those folks, right? That was kind of his. And he also did that with, you know, when the board was asking him for evidence uh, that he kept claiming he had, and it not being in the file, his excuse was, well, I didn't put those files together. You know, that was somebody else's job. So it was always somebody else's job to do the due diligence of uh, something he put his name to 
which didn't go well for the lawyers for the crack and strike force in Michigan. And I don't think will go well for Rudy here. I think it's a really weird defense. But to, to be fair, he's got nothing else, really. I, I, I think that's exactly right. And I would add in, uh, this reminds me of King versus Whitmer. It reminds me of uh, our favorite uh, attorney, uh, Captain Underpants, Alan Dershowitz, who was just uh, sanctioned in Arizona in connection with uh, the Carrie Lake, my pillow, Mike Lindell financed, you know, lawsuit and and all of these. So, yeah. And the Hillary Clinton uh, the, uh, lawsuit that Middlebrooks yep. slapped some sanctions on him on HABA uh, for. And and I'm any day now, I'm assuming Tish James will file a sanctions motion for Trump's lawsuit against her uh, that he went judge shopping for again and ended up with Middlebrooks again which is just hilarious to me. But yeah, it's all kind of got the same echo to it. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. And what we're really seeing is courts kind of coalescing on a theory that says, if you come into this court and you have uh, claims that are either unevidenced and are preposterous, or they're claims that are backed up by, you know, coked out pillow dealers, right? Like then and and affidavits from, you know, Terpsichore <laughs> and uh that dude Spider who Spider, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and Russell Ramsland and like forgot about Spider. Yeah, and just just people who are uh obviously not the slightest bit credible, right? And if you didn't do any vetting on their claims and affidavits, uh but of course Rudy says that wasn't my job. Uh, even though I signed my name to this, uh, which I think he, I think there was a discussion about whether he signed the first claim in Pennsylvania or the second amended claim. And he did put his name on the second amended claim. It took a while for him to, it took, it was like peeling a turtle, getting an answer yeah, out of him. It's like peeling a turtle. I love that. So, so here's, here's the thing. And, no and turtles were harmed in the making none. of this podcast. We loved, we love turtles. Here's sort of the, the way to unpack that. Rule 11, right? And that is the sanction that is specifically filed against attorneys. That's the sanction that was entered against Dershowitz in connection with filing the bullshit complaint. It was half of the sanctions against the Kraken squad in in uh, King versus Whitmer. Um, the other half were uh, the court's inherent power to to issue sanctions, right? But but when you when you seek Rule Eleven sanctions, it is in connection with, and you learn this in law school of uh, having signed a piece of paper. But the actual requirements for Rule Eleven are broader than that. As Lynn Wood found out in Michigan, right? He was like, mm -hmm. well, they just kind of stuck my name on this thing. Uh, and then and he even got Sidney Powell like during that mass hearing to to completely perjure herself in front of the judge and say, oh, no, yeah, no, I will take responsibility. I definitely, you know, stuck Linwood's name on there when he didn't want me to. And it was such transparent nonsense that uh, uh, the judge in that case was like, yeah, we're not we're not considering that. Here's what it says, right? It says signature. But then th this is the language of Rule 11. And keep in mind that the, the bar uh, committee is not held to this strict standard, right? These are this is sanctionable conduct. Rule 11 says every pleading, written motion, other paper must be signed by at least one attorney of record in the attorney's name or by a party personally if the party is unrepresented. The paper must blah, 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 blah. 
unless a rule or statute specifically states otherwise, a pleading need not be verified or accompanied by an affidavit. The court must the court must strike an unsigned paper unless the omission is promptly corrected after being called to the attorney's attention. Then it says by presenting to the court a pleading, right, which is now signed by at least one lawyer, whether by signing, filing, submitting, or later advocating it, an attorney or unrepresented party, certifies that to the best of that person's knowledge, information, and belief formed after an inquiry reasonable under the circumstances, and then you certify four things about it. Number one, that it's not being presented for an improper purpose. Number two, that the claims are warranted by existing law or by an argument, a non-frivolous argument, to extend, modify, or reverse existing law, right? And we, we, you would want that, right? That's a sort of a, think of that as like the Brown v. Board of Education rule. You can say, you know, yes, we understand the, the settled law is really, really bad. We have what we think are good arguments for reversing it. Number three, the factual contentions have evidentiary support or will likely have evidentiary support after an opportunity for discovery. And number four, denials of factual contentions are warranted on the evidence or reasonably based on belief or lack of information. So you put all that together and, and notice that Rule 11 requires you to do two things. Number one, it says the moment you advocate for a position, we don't care whether you technically signed it or not, right? If you've presented the paper or you've endorsed the paper, that's on you. And number two, and this is what brings it sort of full circle to, uh, to the point that you were making, that that presentation must be, quote, formed after an inquiry reasonable under the circumstances. And that's really where courts are going these days with sanctions uh, and with evaluating these lawyers who are trying to skirt, you know, sort of in the, uh, you know, in the neither sphere uh, by saying, well, you know, I, I, you expect me to second guess Russell Ramsland, you know, eminent understander of numbers. And the court's like... <laughs> Yes, asshole, we do expect that. We expect that when someone comes to you and says, I'm a triple secret major general in the ninja division of the Air Force, that you maybe say, you kind of look like a 40-year-old blogger who's been convicted for stealing funds earmarked for charity and using them for personal hair removal. So maybe right, I think not. that was Galuli's friend's defense as well. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like, it, 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 and, and I will tell you, um, I, I'm not an ethics lawyer, so, you know, maybe I missed and there have been a whole bunch of these cases since time immemorial, but I don't think so, right? Like, because prior to the Trump era, even when you had lawyers acting in bad faith, I don't think you ever had a, 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 a determined collection of, oh, we're going to sanitize this by getting crazy people to write affidavits and then say, well, it's not our fault. It's, it's the, you know, it's the expert witnesses who are crazy. And, and, and let, and let me say that, God, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything that remotely defends Rudy Giuliani here because uh, he's a piece of shit and he shouldn't be defended. I have introduced, I, I, I was, um, I was involved as a senior associate, right. And meeting other partners in the firm. Uh, and I uh, developed a little expertise practice as, a, as an associate of being the lawyer in the firm that understood numbers, 
right? <laughs> and so, you know, the firm had a really good uh, white collar criminal defense practice. And so I would come in and work with the forensic accountants. And in this case, this was an expert witness uh, who was a uh, statistics professor, right? And the question was about the management of a hedge fund, right? That was the firm's client who was being charged criminally. And I helped that expert prepare an affidavit. And I will tell you <laughs> that there are things in that affidavit that to this day I could not explain to you, right? Like I don't have a degree in econometrics. I I, I understand statistics, but like there, there certainly were references where he's like, well, you know, when you take the third derivative of, you know, the, the X and now and I'm already like kind of backing up into high school calculus from, you know, a few years ago. Um, courts would kind of give you a pass on that, right? And okay. so I can understand thinking, oh, well, so now all we have to do is do the same thing, get a lot of jargon, have people say, oh, you know, this is, I'm an expert in how votes are tabulated and, you know, votes are never tabulated in X format. And lawyers could pull that same sort of like, hey, don't blame me, I'm bad at math. Um, and, and, and the truth was there was never a math exception, right? If I got hoodwinked, by somebody who wasn't really a professor of, uh, you know, advanced combinatorics, uh, that would have been on me, and I should have been sanctioned for that. Um, and 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 so it's it is good to see this coming down as a as a general rule that says, um, hey, if you put on an affidavit, if you put on evidence, you, you either have to stand behind that evidence yourself. Or you have to say that you reviewed the work of the expert who put it forward. It's not good enough to just say, eh, I found a guy and he says it. Well, there was also a lot of talk, and I wanted to ask you about this, um, about who controls elections. There were a lot of questions aimed at Rudy <laughs> about, <laughs> you know, were you familiar with Pennsylvania election law? Do you see this here? Um, and, and Rudy kept pushing back that, you know, like, how can you possibly take this to the Supreme Court? Are you saying that the Supreme Court has, you know, because constitutionally speaking, each state runs its own elections. And he's like, yeah, but not the state Supreme Court. It's the state legislatures, which I think was his way of obfuscating how the state Supreme Court decides, right. <laughs> you know, how to, how the election laws in their state are executed. Uh, but there was a big discussion on that. Uh, that I wanted to ask you about. And I just wanted to tell everybody, beep, 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 breaking news. Ooh. Speaking of shitty lawyers, Michael Avenatti has been sentenced to 14 years in federal prison um, for in a combo, right, for defrauding his clients and for obstructing IRS efforts to collect payroll taxes from his coffee cart. Wow. So 14 <sighs> years. Um, bad dude. All right. <laughs> Uh, and yes, there is a photo of he and I on the internet. I met him at Politicon. He, we wanted to get a selfie. He insisted on standing on a step. <laughs> well, we took our selfie. And, uh, you know, that was before. I, I, I was never a huge fan of the guy, but he was on our show. We did have him on the show to talk about the, the audio tape he released from the, you know, Michael Cohen stuff or whatever. And so it was, uh, it was news at the time. So we had him on a news program. You're welcome. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, back to the uh, Rudy sanctions. In it's our a, selfie, a, you're just taller than me. That's just the way it goes. <laughs> I'm taller than a lot of people. But yeah. this is a great show about lawyers being held accountable for their bad behavior. 
Because I know one of your biggest pet peeves, Andrew, yeah. is when other <laughs> lawyers shit on the rule of law and on proceedings and, and things that are at the core of what the law is. And so uh, back to Rudy, tell, talk a little bit about this discussion about, uh, I mean, when they could get an answer out of him, like I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> which, which wasn't very often. In fact, one of the board members actually said to him, you know, hey... I'm asking you what time it is, and you're telling me how to make a watch. <laughs> what I'm asking is whether you helped draft the complaint in PA. <laughs> and he just wouldn't answer. And he just, would you let me finish my answer? I let you finish your question. You finish your question. I want to finish my answer. And he would just drag it on. I think it's, you know, obviously some sort of a tactic uh, to muddy things up. But, but it's not going to work. But talk a little bit about this discussion about him not understanding election law, relying on the experts without doing any due diligence, and then kind of arguing that his uh, due process claim is legit because it can go to the Supreme Court and the board saying, really? Uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and first, let me sort of delve into the nature of the hearing, because one of the, the questions that I've already seen on social media is, you know, why, why didn't Giuliani just take the fifth, right? And the, and the answer is, right, civil proceeding, he certainly could, uh, but then they could uh, draw an adverse inference from his invocation of his Fifth Amendment right not to testify. You have an absolute right in any judicial or quasi-judicial proceedings to say, oh, I'm not going to say stuff that would expose me to criminal liability. But unless you're on trial, right, the the opposing side can then ask the tribunal to declare an adverse inference. And if they had said, uh, hey, you want to explain how you came to wrote, to write this complaint? And Giuliani had said, I invoke my Fifth Amendment rights. They would have been like, fantastic. Thanks for <laughs> showing up. Enjoy your disbarment for the rest of your life. Right. So right. Um, and, and that's because right when you have the, the way something becomes a quasi judicial proceeding is, right, you know, you have a Fifth Amendment right uh, not to be deprived of life, liberty or property without due process of law. And so the the more something as, as we have sort of a sliding scale of liberty, we have a sliding scale of what kind of process you're entitled to. And so this is the fact finding hearing right before the disciplinary board and which you are entitled to show up. You don't have to show up, but again, you don't show up. They can draw an adverse inference about, well, you know, why isn't he here? You're entitled to be represented by counsel. You don't have to be represented by counsel, but again, you don't show up. You don't have counsel. That's kind of on you. Uh, and then at the conclusion of this hearing, um, <laughs> which I now understand why they said they've budgeted like up to two weeks. And I'm like, it is incredibly rare for a disciplinary hearing to go more than a day. Um, <laughs> pretty clear now why it's going to go more than a day. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's because, and, and so at the end of that hearing, then the the disciplinary committee that has heard this evidence will send a full recommendation to the Bar Disciplinary Board of, of, of D.C. And then that will go up to the D.C. Court of Appeals. Uh, and and that, that's the same in every state. The state Supreme Court uh, rules on all uh, attorney bar complaints. And so that's, you get to go all the way up with respect to that. Now, with respect to the very specific strategy here, 
Rudy Giuliani is attempting to argue that he was developing a national strategy, right, for uh, for irregularities in all of these states. And so, therefore, it's not reasonable to hold him to the standard for each individual state because this wasn't really about just the election in Pennsylvania. It was about the election in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, you know, all the states that they lost. Right. Um, This is an incredibly bad and stupid argument, (laughs) Uh, not the least of which is because states, as as you point out, states are entitled to run their own elections. And so if you can't articulate in a state proceeding, in a state court, how this violates the state election rules, then maybe you should find someone who can or alternatively don't bring these garbage lawsuits in the first place. Uh, but but the idea was, how can it be frivolous if this is a common thread underlying all of these cases and I have the right to go up to the Supreme Court to adjudicate, you know, I, I guess on the like fraud vitiates everything theory. Like, again, even at this hearing, he's not connecting the dots of the argument because mm-hmm. those dots aren't there to connect. Right. Like, it's just <laughs> nonsense. Yeah, it's um, it was it was pretty difficult to listen to, uh, if I'm being honest, just because. Of the obfuscation, just just consistently. Let me answer your question. I let you ask it. You let me talk. And it just on and on and on. And he would just, again, tell him how to make a watch instead of telling him what time it was. And then finally, after 20 minutes, you would get the yes answer that (laughs) you asked in the first place. And then it would go on to the next thing. Can, Can I wanted to ask you a little bit about is that like a deposition trick to run out the clock or something? I mean, and because, you know, you brought up the. The fact that they gave this one a week or two as, as opposed to a day or two. And, and that is probably why, like they saw it coming. They saw the writing on the wall. They're going to, they're going to hear this until it's till the end. Like what is even the point just to keep his law license another day? I, it, well, again, he does. It's suspended right now. Oh, anticipatorily. Yeah, right. So yeah, it, 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 it this is mind bogglingly bad strategy as far as I'm concerned. Right. <laughs> and again, let, let me get, let me give the caveat that, I, I, you know, I'm not an attorney grievance lawyer, but, but let me just ask you intuitively, if you were accused of misconduct in your profession, right. And brought before a board of, of journalists, right. And said, Hey, we think you've engaged in, uh, improper conduct for journalism, uh, you know, for, for journalism, we want to strip you of your license to podcast that there's some counterfactuals here that we need to stop, but you know, and we want to, ho- we want to hold you for account for the following claims. Right. And then, and then they lay those out. How would you approach that hearing? Uh, as a, a wise attorney once told me, if I had more time, I'd have written a shorter letter. <laughs> uh, I would go right to the heart of each issue and and say either, yes, I did this. This was my intention. No, I did not do this. Here is the proof. I would have all my ducks in a row and, and I would present my case in, a, in the most succinct and clear way I possibly could. Yeah, that's because you are not an idiot. Right. Because, look, there's a reason I serve that question to you up on a tee, and that is when understanding that this committee has already assembled and produced documents. Right. It is your job 
right, in there to defend yourself, to make the governing body aware of facts that they didn't otherwise know. Or to challenge the interpretation, sort of the the what would otherwise be their common sense interpretation of particular documents and statements that you've made. And so in other words, the clearer that you are, the better you're doing for yourself. Right. I would say if I were Rudy, something along the lines of it was not my intention to mislead the court. I was there to assist and advise on a due process claim. Uh, and I uh, unfortunately relied on the expertise of others. If that is actually what happened, we know that's not what happened in this case. Uh, but just be very, just be straightforward about it, man. Like the the it, you're just going to frustrate the people who <laughs> who who hold their your future, you know, disbarment in their hands. Like, why would you want to piss off a bunch of like if I'm sitting in that room of journalists, why why am I going to piss them off? That just I, seems I, dumb. I, that's right, and and so you you also would want to be tied to the three rules, right? Like you you know you said in my counterfactual, you know these are these are the allegations against you for bad journalism. Well, the 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 attorney grievance committee has laid out the allegations against Rudy Giuliani. There are three separate rules of the New York Rules of Professional Conduct. Rule three point three which says a lawyer shall not knowingly make a false statement of fact or law to a tribunal, right? And that is expanded by the commentary that says misrepresentations can also occur by partially true but misleading statements or omissions that are the equivalent of affirmative false statements. We all know how to lie by implication, right? Yeah, well, that's how I handle my relationships. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I know. <laughs> um, that's 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 joke listeners uh and so that's why i'm single with cats hello <laughs> episode 99 so uh rule 33 you're accused of lying or materially misrepresenting things to a court rule 41 says in the course of representing a client a lawyer shall not knowingly make a false statement of fact or law to a third person okay so in addition to lying to the court you're guilty, you're accused of lying to the public, lying to others about this. And Rule 8.4 says a lawyer shall not engage in conduct involving dishonesty, fraud, deceit, or misrepresentation, or engage in any other conduct that adversely reflects on the lawyer's fitness as a lawyer. Now, obviously, that last part is a is a catch-all phrase. You know, don't do bad stuff. Don't, don't be drunk and flatulent on, you know, the election night, wandering around the White House in your underpants, right? <laughs> Giving people uh, fart COVID. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but, but. But the first half, that 8.4, it's actually 8.4C, and the other two rules all basically boil down to the same question. Did you engage in dishonesty, fraud, deceit, or misrepresentation? And I, I, I think there's a way to maybe draw the line here. But here's the important part. There's no way to draw the line here that does not involve a, a sharp break with the uh, Trumpers, grifters, the people who are supporting you through all of this, right? You have to come out and say to this commission, yeah, I, I understand Joe Biden was was properly elected president of the United States. And I, I'm so I was really like carried away with this group that we and we like didn't. And let me show you some of the number and the things got persuasive and we really didn't want it to be true. Uh, but 
but here's here's how I was taken in by that. I have now apologized. I will never right. Like if if Rudy Giuliani wanted to save his law license, that's how you would do it. Yeah, he the doesn't president care. Told me I needed to do this, and I I I didn't have the courage or strength to stand up to him. I was afraid. I he. Of because of what he's done to people's political careers in the past, you know, anything, something uh, other than eh, it was everybody else's fault. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and taking and taking 20 years to say it. <laughs> and 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 I, I keep in mind, it would be a very powerful. I mean, this would be in, instead of us laughing about it, like th- th- this would be an important uh, social moment if if Giuliani were able to come out and say, what is the truth, which is. It's very difficult to tell the president of the United States no. And mm-hmm. and I didn't. And 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 so if you want to discipline me for being too loyal to my client, I, I will take that. Um mm-hmm. but I think disbarment is is the wrong thing, right? This is Well, heroes have to admit that there's a problem. Uh and uh, that's why Donald folks like Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani can never be heroes. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting that directly from Mary Trump and her book, Too Much and Never Enough. If you haven't read, you should. All right. Well, I, I don't expect um, I, I, I think Rudy will be disbarred. Um, and uh, what are just real quick to wrap this up? What are some of the other punishments he can face? Can he face sanctions and fines here? Or is this just a, a bar disciplinary hearing to, to to determine the future of his law license? Yeah, this is this is to determine the, the future of his law license. So there's no there's no criminal liability. There's no uh, civil fines that, that that can be imposed. Um, he, he could have. Uh, you know, the the lesser. So you have disbarment. Uh, you have suspension for a period of time. Uh, you could also write and put a letter of reprimand in his file. Right. Like those mm. are sort of the three broad, ca- you know, categories of, of actions. And uh, if he cared about uh, practicing law, he would be trying to plea bargain down from the death penalty. But he doesn't. I think he doesn't care if he ever practices law again, yeah. um, and he probably won't. So, yep. Speaking of law, I want to talk <laughs> about. You like that segue? That was, that was an amazing. That was so smooth. <laughs> nice and general. There. Speaking about words, I would like to talk about something else now. I sound like that <laughs> that reporter from was it Parks and Rec, <laughs> and that's a thing I just said. <laughs> <laughs> There is um, the old '90s cartoon, The Tick. They they would yeah. have yeah the 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 news bumper. So they're like, and in lighter news, clowns, clowns, yeah. <laughs> clowns bouncing around the screen. It was so great. Anyway, all right. So I'm going to read you the lead here from the New York Times. This is coming from reporter Jonah Bromwich. Manhattan DA hires ex justice official to help lead Trump inquiry. The official Matthew Colangelo. Uh, or maybe Colangelo. Colangelo, I would think. Colangelo also worked. Yeah, Colangelo doesn't sound as good. Uh, also uh, Dr. worked. Dr. Peter Lemoncello. Yeah. <laughs> Your <laughs> house is on fire. <laughs> Dr. Spachemin uh, also worked on the New York Attorney General's investigation. That's Tish James. And here's the lead um, lead graph here. The Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, is hiring former senior Justice Department official with a history of taking on Donald Trump and his family business as they seek to ramp up its investigation into Trump, the former president. The official, Matthew Colangelo, who before acting as third in command of the Justice Department, led the New York Attorney General's civil inquiry. That's Tish James's civil inquiry into Donald Trump. He led that. He's likely to become one of the leaders of the district attorney's criminal inquiry into the former guy. The first thing that flashed into my head was, it's alive! You know, (laughs) (laughs) because... 
little bit of background. Uh, after Vance uh, retired and Alvin Bragg won his election as Manhattan District Attorney, came in, uh, looked at all the stuff, uh, kind of, and after a, a week or so, uh, it could, he wasn't really responsive. And then he said, I, you know, I don't see it here. I don't see a case. Dunn and Pomerantz, two other DOJ folks who were brought in uh, to help the investigation into Donald himself, uh, and, uh, you know, as a as an aside or peripherally to the investigation into the Trump organization and Weisselberg and all that, uh, they resigned. Uh, and we got one of their resignation letters, and they were, they were mad. And yep. they were saying that Bragg wasn't going to do anything, he was going to kill this case. And then Bragg was like, no, I'm still investigating. And then a couple of weeks ago, we got another story that said, hey, they're trying to jumpstart the investigation into Trump and the Stormy Daniels hush money payoff thing at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, which seemed like a little bit of, uh, I don't know, journal, uh, like journo fluffing yep. <laughs> uh, to you and me. And now he's hired this guy, Colangelo, to come in. And uh, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts because I, you and I both agree that Weisselberg should not have been given that deal that he was given. And there's nothing in this reporting that would indicate that Weisselberg is cooperating with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, just that he pled and agreed to plead guilty to all of those charges. And there was a lot of stuff that came up, evidence in the Weisselberg-Trump org trial like signed things with Trump's signed name on them showing that he approved these bonuses, uh, you know, in exchange for a lower salary so that he, you know, would ha wouldn't have to pay them as much money. He would do it in gifts and then that wasn't taxable. It was way, it's a way to hide taxes, payroll taxes. Right. But nothing about the in, uh, inflation of assets, although they say that that is what this guy might be looking into, because that's what he did over at Tish James's office. So I was curious as to your thoughts on what's going. It feels like Alvin Bragg was like, I'm going to do this myself with my own people uh, <laughs> kind of a thing. I don't know. I don't know how else to explain it. I It, it still feels to me. I mean, it, from my perspective, Alvin Bragg is... Uh, uh, guilty of uh, being chicken shit until proven otherwise. A and this to me feels like an effort, a, a continuing part of the effort to sort of do damage control when he realized that, you know, that was a disaster uh, and, and really gave up um, an important avenue of pursuing the kinds of crimes that were likely to stick against Donald Trump. Right. Well, yeah, missed opportunity yeah. in in trying to roll Weisselberg, and um, and, and, and Weisselberg is is gone. I mean, again, uh, not a prosecutor. You know, feel free uh, if you disagree, but um, it it I I don't see how you'll ever flip Weisselberg now. Yeah, he's he was born to go to jail for, uh, 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 for Donald. Weisselberg did did a couple of months in Rikers, right? And yeah. You're you're not going to threaten him with anything that bad ever again. You've missed the opportunity, and without Weisselberg, Trump's defenses. Yeah, I I, I was uh, you know I, I ran a billion dollar organization, then I was president of the United States, and I trusted my guys to bring me stuff, and then I signed it. And you know if Alan said sign it, I signed it. And that that is the kind of thing, by the way, that you know corrupt CEOs 
say in front of juries yeah, all, the they time, do it all the time and 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 never get convicted right i mean that so the, you think so you think that Bragg came in decided not to prosecute Dunn and Pomerantz quit the backlash was swift and he said oh fuck fine i'll act like i'm going to it's it's already seemingly maybe too late to get these really good easy convictions because of all the wasted opportunities uh of uh rolling weisselberg and not giving McConaughey immunity, uh, you know, things like that. <laughs> yep, yep. And so now he's just like, well, I'll bring in this guy and uh, have him investigate. And he'll just come back and tell me, I, I probably can't make a case here because you fucked up. <laughs> I, I, let me give you, let me, so yes, right. And and again, I agree that that's sort of harsh and maybe I am overreacting to one data point, but like, man, it's hard to explain uh, uh, that Weisselberg deal. Um I guess the best case scenario would be we know there have been uh, ongoing uh, formal agreements of cooperation between Bragg's office, you know, formerly Vance's office, and Tish James's office in terms of resource sharing, information sharing. And it's possible that the communication might have been, hey, um, looks like Tish James is going to claw back a quarter of a billion dollars from the Trump org and, um, you know, sort of do some real financial damage to somebody who has been a serial financial criminal. That is the former president of the United States. And so it's possible that uh, that he called up uh, her office and said, how can we help? Right. How can we mm. be a resource as this is moving in X direction? So that could be, you know, if you want if you want less of an Alvin Bragg is chicken shit explanation, uh, you might have that. You know, that would be my best case scenario. Yeah. We'll see how it turns out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, give it another what year? <laughs> uh, you know, at least we'll be know. podcasting. I, I, st I still am trying to figure out. I can't understand the thought process behind the the sweetheart deal that nope. Weisselberg maybe all will reveal itself in due course or maybe we'll come back and have a, a declination that we couldn't get anything because Weisselberg wouldn't cooperate and we gave immunity to McConaughey uh I tried yeah but we'll see and I'm glad you bring that last point out and I will happily do a mea culpa if 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 that comes out it is a challenge right to second guess declination decisions because they're not written down and and so uh you know you you are correct uh in that and you know we sort of need to have a a scoop of humility but you know we it's also our job to take the information that we have and try and parse that out <laughs> i'm so. forever the optimist i hope he yep. gets indicted yeah uh, me i just too, i just don't i still that still wouldn't explain the weisselberg deal to me nope. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if anything mm. ever will. That guy, All that right. guy is, that's, it's the same thing as the, the, the direct analog is Paul Manafort, right? Mm -hmm. um, Mueller tried to get him to flip. And when he wouldn't, Mueller was like, all right, fine. But your ass is going to jail because you're a bad dude. And mm -hmm. Alan Weisselberg is, he has the keys to the kingdom. It would be fantastic if he would flip on Trump, but he's a career criminal. He has spent his entire adult life hiding Donald Trump's financial crimes and profiting handsomely as a result. He is as much a definition of scumbag as you possibly get. And he should have had to have spent the last years of his life in a federal penitentiary. And the fact that he isn't is an injustice. So yeah, if Avenatti is getting 14, yeah. why not? Why not Weisselberg? Yeah, totally. Uh, all agreed. right. All right, cool. Uh, before we get out of here, <laughs> you wanted to you wanted to mention something about some dumbass 
fucking dick pic story on the yep. internet because all this is to me is uh, this is the Twitter files, right? Yep. Elon Musk is like, we've got the Twitter files. And he's like, we need another day. Uh, they had to go through and, you know, make sure that they had cherry picked their information and wouldn't get sued for defamation. And uh, they put out these emails and the emails show that Twitter decided not to post naked photos of Hunter Biden. And that's it. They should. I mean, it's just sort of like TOS discussions, terms of service discussions. I think this violates terms, terms of service. And the guy even said they did it for both Biden and Donald. <laughs> I don't. So I don't understand. So. So. And the I, First Amendment. Yeah. Isn't, isn't, the, yeah. So. So here's the thing. <laughs> Okay, and you don't empty understand. Wheel, empty wheel is is hashtag Maddie Maddie's dick pics. By the way, oh nice. <laughs> um, you don't inhabit right wing crazy land, and that that's good. Um, so <laughs> thank you. So here's here's what actually happened. Friday evening, last Friday evening, Elon Musk said we are going to get to the bottom of the Twitter files. Watch this space. And then there was some delay in rolling it out. And then it turned out that what he meant by that was Elon Musk handed over to Matt Taibbi. Um, by the way, if any journalist has fallen farther than Matt Taibbi in the era of Trump, <laughs> I, 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 it can only be his buddy, Glenn Greenwald. Glenn Greenwald. Although, although yeah. Glenn Greenwald <laughs> didn't say. start at as good a place. Like Matt Taibbi's <laughs> book, The Great Derangement, is seriously, exceptionally well written. Right, a 2008 book. Uh, he infiltrates a, a, a mega church and weaves the narrative together with like um, uh, 9-11 truthers. And it's it, it's it, like... It's really great piece of writing. Um, today, Matt Taibbi is a, a, uh, an agent of the alt-right. Uh, Glenn Greenwald sat down and did a dog and pony show with Alex fucking Jones mm -hmm. uh, in which he asked questions like, uh, it, 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 are, aren't you too popular? Isn't your dick too big, uh, you know, for us really to mere mortals to handle it? I mean, it was, it was as gross a show, uh, as I have ever seen. Uh, my friends, our friends over at Knowledge Fight, uh, broke that press conference down, but it was, it, it was the opposite of journalism. It was complete puffery. Um, so, uh, and of course, Glenn Greenwald went on Tucker Carlson's show that a white nationalist uh, show immediately co in coordination with all of these files coming out to explain to insurrectionists why they were right all along and that the media covered up the Hunter Biden scandal, which would have made Donald Trump president again. So you really are right in beating police officers down uh, and storming the Capitol and trying to kill the vice president. Good job, guys. Now, the thread that hangs all of this together is the idea that while the story was breaking, the Hunter Biden laptop story, which, by the way, like what are the contents of, of Hunter Biden's laptop? I mean, other than we, we know porn, uh, everything else, it might as well be the briefcase from Pulp Fiction, right? Like you, you, you can't see inside it. You never will. They won't even tell you what they speculate is inside it. It's just the MacGuffin. And if the press had talked about the MacGuffin, then nobody would have voted for Joe Biden and Donald Trump would have been president. And therefore, it's OK that, you know, we've threatened to kill and have actually killed people. Um, so the idea was as part of the 
politically biased way to suppress the story that as the story was developing, high up politically connected insiders from the Biden campaign were secretly emailing Twitter to tell them to, to shut down stories that were promoting the Hunter Biden laptop. So I'm going to read you. This is uh, and this, by the way, is the single most quoted tweet out of. Uh, Matt Taibbi's like 39 tweets that were strung together. Uh, the one that Elon Musk came back and said, well, this seems like a case closed to me. Uh, this was thread number eight that said requests from connected actors to delete tweets were routine. One executive would write to another, quote, more to review from the Biden team. And the reply would come back handled. Right. And then at the end, Elon Musk was like, handled? How could they possibly, right? And the implication is, right, hey, these are politically sensitive tweets, and therefore we want you to, you know, shut these down, delete them, get rid of the accounts. And then Twitter would come back and be like, you got it, because we are just a paid wing of the Biden campaign. In in reality, and 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 these, as, as you, uh, you know, burst the bubble at the start of the segment, each and every one of these tweets is recoverable via archive.org. And the one that's in, so in other words, so Matt Taibbi says that and then posts an email and is like, see, here's the smoking gun. And the smoking gun refers to five tweets. Uh, and the email is blocked out, but is said, you know, said to have come from the Biden team. And then, uh, and then there's a response back from an at twitter.com email that says handled these. Um, all, all, all five of these are pictures of Hunter Biden's penis. Okay. So in other words, when the email that went out that said, Hey, more to review, more to review did not mean we need you to help us win our presidential race. This was, Hey, um, there are people sharing non-consensual pornography revenge porn about a person that that violates the Twitter terms of service uh, and conscience and ethic. Like I, I would not want somebody out there sharing, you know, Ivanka Trump revenge porn, right? Like she has a right to her own body. And if you take a picture of her and she says, I don't want that shared on the internet and you do it anyway, uh, congratulations. You just made me defend a member of the Trump family. Right. Like that, that absolute Don Jr., you know, has a right not to have his dick posted all over the Internet. And that's all this was. Every single item on the supposed smoking gun email is non-consensual pornography that was asked to be deleted and was deleted because of course it was you fucking ghouls and monsters. So, um. If you have an Uncle Frank who is hung up on how the Twitter files show, maybe walk him through this. Pull up the Matt Taibbi, show him post number eight, have him read it and then go, what do you think those tweets were? And then pull them up on archive.org. And I'm sorry you're going to have to show Uncle Frank Hunter Biden's dick, uh, but if that's what it takes for Uncle Frank to finally realize uh, that that this is not a story. This is not a thing. This is not a secret conspiracy by Twitter to elect Joe Biden president. Uh, and and who knows? Maybe Uncle Frank will enjoy it. So, 
More people, I think, would have voted for Joe Biden if they saw Hunter's dick. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> just my personal. It's not like he came out and uh, announced an investigation into a laptop 11 days before an it, election as the head it, of the it, FBI it, or anything. It, 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 it. Again, everything they <laughs> accuse us of is always a thing that they have done worse. That That yeah. is right. Look, there is no question in my mind, right? There, there is a counterfactual question. There's no question in my mind that if you delete Jim Comey from the universe, if you replace Jim Comey with somebody who followed the actual FBI policy of not commenting on a politically sensitive investigation during an election, right, as happened regarding the investigation of Donald Trump during the election, right, that Hillary Clinton would have won going away, right? Um, that that does not, and this is the important part about the Hunter Biden lie or any of these other stupid ass stories that are surfacing. That counterfactual would not have justified AG and I heading down to the Capitol on January 20th of 2017 and storming the Capitol and killing people in our path and demanding that Hillary Clinton be inaugurated instead, right? Like that's not the way our electoral system works. You can say this was not true. You can say it was misleading. You can say we got robbed, right? I, I donated money to the Howard Dean campaign. And if anybody got robbed, that dude got robbed, right? Like uh, yeah. the scream was a, <laughs> was a celebratory Woo. scream to his crowd. Like you could take anything I've said on this podcast and turn it into something that sounded way crazier than anything Howard Dean ever did. And that ran for a week and that sank his candidacy and that potentially deprived him of the presidency, you know, politics ain't beanbag, right? Like that, 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 sorry, it happens. I can say Howard Dean got screwed. I can say Dukakis got screwed. You want to say Trump got screwed? Fine. It still does not lead to, therefore, it's okay for me to storm the Capitol and try and kidnap Nancy Pelosi and kill Mike Pence. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it no, bad okay. Uncle Frank, bad. But yeah. your guy didn't get screwed. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think he won. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, it wouldn't have had an impact on the election, and and uh, it, it wasn't it, it wasn't even what anyone says it is. Anyway, it's just the most it's the dumbest. Thing. It is. It is. It is dumb. But here is it's rare when we get a, uh, the ability to say, let's dissect this. What does this email? What does this tweet mean to you? Right. And now let's look at the underlying data. I did this with. There was a um, oh God a report on the uh, you know the the O for sixty one Kraken cases uh, in which somebody had like created a spreadsheet that, that you know purported to show that none of them would have been resolved on the merits despite the fact that you know the Pennsylvania Supreme Court wrote a hundred and thirty five page opinion like <laughs> I, you you don't really do that without delving into the merits right yeah. Uh, every time you scratch below the surface of these, you know, right wing conspiracy loons, it's uh, something that looks like it is supported by fact, but isn't. So there you go. 100%. All right. Well, thank you. This has been fascinating, uh, especially the Rudy part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens with the Manhattan District Attorney. And uh, uh, like you said, we, we don't want to underestimate the right wing nut jobs we'll see if anything i mean gets any traction uh on, at all with these uh ridiculous twitter files i'm sure marjorie taylor green will want to investigate uh in congress uh, another benghazi <sighs> um so we'll see we'll see how that all turns out but uh, thank you everyone for listening thanks to our patrons for supporting us you make the show possible 
Um, and hey, uh, we we love you and appreciate you. And we'll, we'll we'll get back to you soon with our next live Zoom Q and A happy hour cocktail mocktail extravaganza. Uh, as soon as we uh, get one scheduled. And uh, uh, do you have any final thoughts or anything before we get out of here? No, just uh, thanks again for being there. And uh, we love you. Yeah, everybody, we'll see you next week on episode 100 (laughs) of Clean Up on Aisle 45. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, beating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And this this is is how we win. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry, 
We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.